Welcome to Savage Love uh, Podcast. I'm Dan Savage, the author of Savage Love, the internationally syndicated sex advice column uh, for the new millennium. Uh, we have intro music now, but it's not really about the theme music. Ultimately, it's about the bad advice. So let's get right to the bad advice, shall we? Is it possible to train yourself to enjoy loving, gentle, intimate lovemaking again? Um, my fiance and I have both had a lot of sex partners and very, very adventurous sex. And her wet dream was a leather daddy like me. We, we thought it was a match made in heaven. But once we were closer than she'd ever been to another person, we realized that my partner's sexual abuse history makes any dominant behavior too traumatic for her. Um, and, and yes, we are in counseling. Um, I, I love her dearly, but as soon as I get turned on, the dom comes out and I get, you know, turned off by being sweet and loving. It, you know, sweet and loving is great, but it's not sexual to me. Um, I, I've been there and done that, and it takes varsity level fun to turn my crank. So, you know, you said before that people can't make their fantasies go away, so what do I do? That's my question. And, hey, thanks again for spreading sexual and political truth. And as a man engaged to a woman, we're not getting married until everyone can get married. So you say uh, you're not getting married until everyone can get married, which is kind of ironic, because as I was listening to your question, I was thinking you shouldn't get married, period. Even if I could get married uh, to my partner, I'm not sure necessarily that you should marry this woman. Um, sounds like you love each other. Sounds like it's worth uh a nice, long counseling process to see if you can hammer this out. But it also sounds like you're pretty sexually incompatible. Uh, if the dom comes out in you and sex is not interesting to you at all when it's uh, loving and tender and kissy, police car just went by. We don't exactly have a soundproof studio around here. Uh, if the sex isn't, um, you know, anything, if it just doesn't turn your crank at all, if it's lovey-dovey, uh, then and this woman presented herself to you and your courtship involved... Um, you know, a dom-sub uh, presumption that the, the sex was going to be, you know, BDSM. That was what the courtship was about. That was your expectations. That's what she led you to, to believe that she was into. And then this whole other sort of left-field issue around sexual abuse kind of exploded in your faces. You have a right to revisit your decision about whether or not this is the person you want to be with if they're incapable of having the kind of intimate sexual contact that you need from your primary partner, from your wife, uh, from the person that you turn to for, for sexual intimacy. Um, you know, it sounds horrible. It sounds like we're saying she should be punished again uh, for having been sexually abused. Uh, however, someone who has a history of sexual abuse and it's not resolved, uh, hasn't unpacked it in counseling, it's still sort of like a landmine exploding uh, unexpectedly in their lives, has a responsibility to work on those issues and settle those issues before they uh, set out into the dating and mating field and, you know, decide to become someone's fiancé or wife or husband or, or, or serious long-term boyfriend or girlfriend. We have a responsibility to be, you know, not 100% healthy when we present ourselves to other people as potential partners, but workable. None of us are 100% healthy. We all have issues. We all have hang-ups. But we have to be sort of, uh, you know, the car has to be running, before you can sell it. <laughs> and I'm being, I know I'm sounding horrible. I also think that it might be in her best interest if there wasn't this underlying tension and pressure for her to get back up to this kind of sex or for you to come down to 
lovey-dovey sex, you know, for her to get back up to the varsity level sex and her to come back, or you to come back down to JV, uh, to use those terms, um, for this to work. It seems like if she's going to go through a counseling process about her sexual abuse history, that it might be better if she wasn't worried about fixing herself uh, because you have expectations and needs and desires that no longer dovetail with her sexual capabilities or interests or, or abilities. So uh, I would say you need to end it and then find someone else that you won't marry until I can marry, which I appreciate very much. Hi, Dan. This is, uh, I'm calling from Philly. I am calling in response to the guy who called you the black guy who was interested in white girls, and that sort of struck a chord with me. I grew up um, in a very integrated neighborhood and still live in it, and actually my neighborhood now is more heavily African-American than white, and have my entire life been hit on by black men. Now, the thing is that I find black men extremely attractive, uh, but have only dated a couple of them. Um, I still long for Tupac, but whatever. Um, and I guess I wanted to say that, I mean, I, I don't want to be rude, and I and a couple of things just occurred to me, and I thought I'd just throw them out there. Um, the thing that is pretty big when it comes to um, white-black relationships, and especially romantic relationships, is that there's huge cultural differences in the way that black um, communities work with romance versus white. And, of course, the whole thing is certain things are normal to some people and certain things are not normal to other people. The concept of, like, the Mac that black guys throw out there is just sort of ridiculous. Most white women, um, not all of them, but I'd say most. And um, if a guy yells at me, from the street or from his car, I'm not, like, flattered. I just think it's sort of stupid and, you know, it's uninteresting. Um, I was thinking that the guy should just put himself in places where he's going to be with white girls. He should go to, like, the local public college and take classes if he hasn't already done that. Um, and he may have to be a little more white. And but he also may not want to do that. Now there are going to be women out there who like black guys and those things that black guys do, but those will be harder to find. But I wish him luck, and there are plenty of girls out there who are going to want him. So maybe it'll work out. I don't have much to add other than you know it's always a sort of dangerous uh, conversation when you're talking about the way black guys are and what white girls like because you're, we're making hugely broad generalizations about lots and lots of different kinds of people. Um, but I'm going to uh, blast your advice out there for all the black guys who are interested in white girls, assuming that some of them perhaps do act in stereotypical black guy ways and want to date white girls who behave in stereotypically white girly ways. Uh, it might be of some use. Uh, but I don't know if I necessarily endorse it. But I also know that it's not an area of my expertise, and perhaps it's an area of yours. So there it is. Uh, next question. Hello, Dan. Um, uh... 30-year-old straight male, and I have two questions for you, both concern uh, orgasms. Uh, for men, uh, how does a guy come like a porn star? I mean, when I come, usually it's like, you know, enough to fill up maybe a teaspoon, a little more, but these guys, they could probably fill up a whole half a cup. How do they do that? And also, I've noticed uh, since I started having sex, uh, I, I used to be able to like have like, you know, four orgasms per, se uh, four orgasms per session. And now I am lucky if I get a second one out. 
um, what happened and is there something in my diet that I can do to improve this so I can go four times around and, and shoot like incredible amounts of orgasm every time? Uh, let me know. I'm sure the guys would like to know. Thanks and keep up the good work. All guys can't come like porn stars, but all porn stars can. That's why they're porn stars. The people in porn tend to be have some remarkable sexual characteristics or abilities. That's why people will pay to watch them have sex and not necessarily pay to watch you have sex. There's also an awful lot of faked uh, uh, money shots in porn. There are very realistic-looking cocks that guys will hold up to their crotches and then drench uh, their sex partner with just spoogy, spoogy, spoogy ejaculate, tons of it. Um, you have to look carefully, look closely, because sometimes the cum shots are fake. Sometimes they're not. There are some guys out there who just shoot tons and tons and tons of spunk. Can you become one of them? No, not necessarily. If you're getting enough fluids in your diet, you know, if you, do, if you don't drink anything, you're not going to make a lot of pee. Uh, you know, the, the fluids that come out of you depend a large part on you being well hydrated and having a lot of fluids in you. But some guys have big prostate glands, and some guys make a lot of seminal fluid, which is mostly what ejaculate is. Some guys don't have huge prostate glands. Some guys have efficient ones. Some guys have inefficient ones. Some guys leak a lot of pre-cum, and then there's not a lot left over for the ejaculatory splashy moment. Um, it's not something really you can change. Don't start buying any goddamn pills. Someone's trying to sell you through spam about, like, increasing the amount of your ejaculate. Just drink a lot. Be really well hydrated. Don't drink a lot of shit that dehydrates you like coffee and Coke and then expect you're going to have, you know, splashy orgasms and accept that you're not, you know, you come like you come. And a teaspoon, they call it that band. There was some band in the 60s called the Loving Teaspoon because a teaspoon is about what the average male pumps out. Um, if you're a guy who shoots a quart, you have a future in porn if you are also a guy with a great body. And that's why guys in porn shoot a lot. It's not, you know... It's not an average sample, the guys in porn. It's unnatural selection at its finest, the guys in porn. As for the four orgasms, you're 30 now. Uh, a male's ability to bounce back instantaneously tends to drop off after his sexual peak. Your sexual peak, I'm sad to say, was 12 years ago. Um, if you can get it up and come one or once or twice, uh, you know, once and then take a little break, half an hour, go eat a bowl of cornflakes and go at it again, you're doing pretty well uh, for 30. You're doing well for 40 at that rate. You're doing well for 50. Um, you have to accept that your body will change. Things will change. Uh, the amount of ejaculate you produce, unlikely to change. The number of orgasms you have in the evening between age 16 and age 30, that will definitely change. Hi, uh, I've got a question. Um, I am a woman who is capable of orgasming by myself, but I have yet to have a guy or a girl give me one. Um, I found out when I was younger that I could do pull-ups or chin-ups and that that would allow me to, and that was sort of before I um, started being with other people. Um, and I'm capable of giving myself one with a vibrator, but if I try to do it manually, it takes a really, really, really long time, and I kind of give up. And so obviously, since I'm capable of having one, there's nothing wrong with me physically, but um, I was molested a couple times when I was younger, and I thought maybe it was related to that, um, you know, not being comfortable or something, but I've been married, I've been in very good relationships, I've had people who are very interested in trying to help me and try all kinds of things and are extremely patient. And I feel like maybe sometimes I'm getting close, but then the moment passes or something. So 
I don't know if you have any good advice you can give me. Um, I've talked to other people about this, and they all have recommendations about trying different positions and whatnot, but nothing seems to work, and I think, well, maybe now it's getting to the point where I'm I'm putting too much pressure on myself. I saw a short bus, and I thought, well, I recognize that kind of problem, but um, I don't know if we have any sex salons here in Chicago like that. So anyway, I'd really appreciate it if you gave me some advice. Your question is really good. Uh, I think you need to calm down. I think you're right that you're putting an awful lot of pressure on yourself, and that can be comp- compounding your problem. Um, you can have orgasms when you use your vibrator. You say you can't have them manually. Uh, I think you're the molestation, you know. Nowadays, because of the cultural hysteria around child molestation, and it's a, it's a huge issue, and no child should ever be molested Um but, you know, somebody burns their toast every morning, and if they were molested, it must have been the molestation. Um, I think you're right to be a little suspicious of your own inclination to, to pin it to that, uh, that you're having orgasms alone and that you're able to make good faith tries with other people. The, I, I think is an indication that, that the molestation may be irrelevant. Uh, you know, it's still traumatic and still shouldn't have happened, and, you know, you can still put a zap on your head every once in a while. But if you're able to come using a vibrator, you say, when you're alone, but you're not able to come manually or in using different positions when you're with others, I think that the mistake that you're making is not recognizing and accepting that perhaps you are one of the many women out there who require intense, focused stimulation, the kind that can usually only be given, derived from a vibrator. Uh, you know, the, most of the clitoral tissue in a woman is inside the body, and some women, it's, it seems to be a bit deeper or harder to get to or get at or stimulate uh, intensely enough to get them off the, the, than it is for other women. Um, you know, I think if you gave yourself permission to stop banging your head against a brick wall and being frustrated with yourself and disappointed in yourself and looking into your, you know, your, your distant past for incidents that you could blame it all on and just accept that this is how your body uh, responds, and this is the kind of stimulation you require. If you can get yourself off with a vibrator alone, I thought it was really telling that you never mentioned using the vibrator that you're able to get off with alone with anybody else, never putting it in their hands and letting them use it on you, or as you're having vaginal intercourse in whatever position, whipping out the vibrator and incorporating it and showing someone else what you need. You know, we all think that being adult and being sexual as adult means we're going to have all these look ma, no hands orgasms, as I like to call them. And for many of people, that's just not the case. A lot of people uh, need to finish themselves off or need more, need more intense. And, you know, it would be great if we could all, you know, be able to respond to all different levels of sexual sensation and intensity so that sometimes we could come uh, from a you know a really light touch in a really light way, and sometimes we could come from you know really being pounded away at. Uh, but this you know I don't think it's a sad fact. I was about to say the sad fact. It's not a sad fact. Just the fact is that different kinds of people require different kinds of stimulation. And when you learn how your body responds, when you learn what your body needs, when you give other forms of stimulation a good faith try to see if maybe you respond to that too, and then you don't, you need to accept what it is, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. So I'd get back on the horse, so to speak. <laughs> um, you know, the next time you have a partner, or if you have a partner now, bring the vibrator into the room with them. Show them how you use it on yourself. Have a series of, have some weeks go by where you just masturbate together. 
where you get used to having orgasms with the other person lying beside you or sitting on top of you or holding the vibrator before you get back to any other kinds of sex. And then just keep them handy. I know so many women who, once they get to this point, once they accept that they need this, once the vibrator isn't something they hide from their male sex partners, like it's some shameful dependency, like it's a, a needle and they're a junkie, once they leave it on the bed stand uh, and are just really upfront about it, um, their sex lives improve, their self-esteem improves, their partner's self-esteem improves because their partners, because with this tool, can get them off, no longer feel like they're failing too. They feel like they can do it with the jackhammer, with the tool, with the, the proper tools and the equipment and the information and the right attitude. They can get you off if you let them, if you accept your body for what it is and how it works. And that would be my advice for you. Thanks for calling. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the latest edition of the Savage Love Podcast brought to you by me, Dan Savage, uh, author of Savage Love, and the at-risk tech-savvy youth who uh, importuned me into doing this thing and, and pushing my boundaries. The phone number, if you want to uh, be a part of the podcast, 206-201-2720. Call, record your question, leave your phone number in case we want to call you back. We won't broadcast your phone number. Also, uh, if at all possible, please call from a landline uh, and not a cell phone driving down the freeway uh, for, so uh, people can hear your questions. That would be more helpful. There's been a bunch of calls that we couldn't even understand or hear or weren't able to use. So landlines, people, if possible. And once again, that number, 206-201-2720. This has been the Savage Love Podcast. I'm Dan Savage, and we'll have a new one up for you next week. Thanks. Thanks.